2: A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires end zone. It's caught.
0: Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately. Oh, and he got the handoff. You know what? <laughs> The Qunator. Oh my gosh!
3: Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet, my name is Scott Mason, you can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1, and it's time for the Chronicles of Nannia, where we look at all the nerdy numbers with the resident stat geek over at JetsXFactor.com, where he is also the co-founder, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, what's going on, buddy? How was your Thanksgiving?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I think I spend my week doing the same thing that most people do during their Thanksgiving week, which is make Brayden Man highlight videos, you know, <laughs> just <some> normal activities.
3: <laughs> Something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, Brayden Man highlight videos over at com. But <laughs> well, Michael, you did a lot more than just Brayden Man highlight videos. You took a look at the winners and losers analytics wise from the jets latest effort against the los angeles chargers let's start with one of the biggest winners of them all in fact perhaps the biggest winner and that is quinn williams you did a really in-depth look at his performance in this game. He was spectacular. Seven pressures, and he has become one of the best players in the league on defense, an elite player on the interior defensive line. He just keeps getting better and better by the week.
2: Yeah, Quinn and Williams has definitely been having a fantastic second season, and and he definitely has, has been improving during the season, uh, just continuously doing more and more things that we haven't seen him do before so he's definitely on a very positive upward uh, trajectory Uh, as of right now he is 12th or 13th among interior interior defensive linemen in pressures and stops combined per game with 4.3 pressures and stops per game that's 13th at the position and he's really one of the few guys in the league that are playing at a high level in both phases both against the run and the pass he's one of only three interior d linemen with a 70-plus pass rush grade of PFF, 70-plus run defense grade, 20-plus total stops, and 20-plus pressures. The other two are Cameron Hayward and DeForest Buckner. And those two guys are obviously uh, elite perennial stars, so it's really good company to have. So he's playing at a really high level, seven pressures against the Chargers. That was a career high. Uh, And he set a new career high only two games ago. Uh, For him, he missed the Patriots game. But back against the Bills in Week 7, he had five in that game. That was a career best. Uh, and beat that again this week against the Chargers. And that was also his seven pressures against the Chargers, uh, the most among all players at the position in Week 11. So he's definitely trending up and playing great in both
3: phases. He's not the only one, though. John Franklin Myers continues to dominate on the interior defensive line as well.
2: Yeah, Franklin Myers, his uh, his pressure uh, as a pass rusher for this season has been so consistent, really. He did have a couple down games, but for the most part... Uh, he's been producing at a really high level. Uh, so far this season, 27 pressures, over 182 pass rush snaps. That's a 14.8% rate, fifth best among interior defensive linemen. Uh, and he had four against the Chargers. So, uh, Franklin Myers just continues to play really well. And, and both of these guys, Clinton and Franklin Myers, for them to be putting up these pass rush numbers with a team that is so bad in the secondary where quarterbacks can get the ball out you know, so quickly, there's not a ton of time for them to get there. And then there's also not an edge rush that's prompting quarterbacks to step up. So they don't have a lot going their way in terms of the conditions making it easier for them to produce pressure. But both of them, especially Franklin Myers, uh, have been producing at very efficient levels this season in the passing game.
3: At edge, Jordan Jenkins hasn't really been all that special this year, but against the Chargers, he showed up in a big way. Unfortunately, Jabari Zuniga has yet to do that at all. He was very quiet here against the Chargers, to the point where you and I were joking that we, at one point in the game, wondered if he was even playing.
2: Yeah, Zuniga definitely has had a quiet start so far. Uh, He's yet to record a pressure in his three games. uh, Only has one stop in the run game. Also has a missed tackle as well, so he hasn't done too much yet. But he also has barely played, only 45 snaps over his three games. So, you know, that's about half, maybe a little bit more than half of your typical game. So he's really only played like half a game so far, um, or half of a full game. So, yeah, we haven't seen too much of him yet, but when he's been out there, pretty much nothing to really look at as a positive flash. Uh, The only tackle he made against the Chargers was tracking down a Justin Herbert scramble that was already first down. So other than that, didn't do too, uh, didn't do anything. Had a missed tackle, but no pressures. So nothing yet from Zuniga, but it's extremely early. He's only played 45 snaps. And then Jenkins, like you said, he had a good game, five pressures. Uh, one of those was a sack. Um, it, nothing, you know, too, in terms of looking forward, nothing too uh, – it doesn't tell you too much. He still has had a pretty mediocre season overall, but he does have games like these. Now and then where he does, you know, give you a little jolt of pass rush production, but he's still Jordan Jenkins, just a decent, you know, mediocre overall edge rusher who should not be starting for the team next year, but he did play a good game against the Chargers. But uh, in terms of Zuniga, definitely, you definitely would like to see more from him uh, going forward.
3: One guy you'd be hard pressed to even ask for more from is Foley Fadakasi he has been outstanding become one of the best run stuffers in the entire league and he dominated in that regard once again on Sunday against the Chargers
2: yeah Fadakasi is just really caught fire I think in the in the beginning of the season he's still having a good quiet impact in terms of just penetration setting up tackles for teammates but His own production on the football has definitely been way up the past three weeks, uh, pretty much the best in the league over uh, his past three games. So in this one, uh, he, again, on only 17 snaps against the run, he had four stuffs in the run game uh, to compare that to uh, the Patriots game where he really broke out. He had six stuffs in that game, but that was over 33 snaps against the run, which is great in and of itself, but four over four stuffs over only 17 snaps against the run. Is fantastic. And he's playing at an uh, extremely high level this season, uh, comparable to last season. But I mean, he was great last year as well. So he's establishing himself as one of the best run stuffing tackles in the league so far this year, 19 stuffs, third most among interior D linemen, even though he's 34th in snaps played against the run with 164. Uh, and one spot ahead of him is Quinnon Williams with 20 stuffs. And Quinnon is 55th in snaps played against the run. So um, the really interesting thing about this trio of guys on the interior, Fadakasi, Quinnen and John Franco Myers. um, Quinnen is uh, the Jets have two duos, both featuring Quinnen in the two phases on the defensive side that no other team can really match. So Quinnen and Franco Myers are one of only three pairs of teammates in the league to each have uh, interior D lineman teammates to each have 20 pressures on a 9% plus pressure rate. Uh, the other two are Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tuitt uh, with the Steelers, and the Eagles actually have three players, Fletcher Cox, Willie Jackson, uh, and also Javon Hargrave. So, JFM and one of only three pairs of teammates to do that in the passing game. But then in the running game, Quinnen and Fadakasi are one of only two pairs of teammates with at least 15 run stuffs. The other pair is Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams with the Giants. So, Jets in both phases have one of the best duos in the league. Both of them feature Quinn and Williams. And the other in both of those phases is uh, Franklin Myers and Fado Kassi thriving in their own respective strengths. John Franklin Myers in the passing game and Fadakasi, of course, in the running game. So this trio right now is a really exciting uh, core to have on this defense going forward. And I think that Jets fans are really spoiled with the defensive line. It, it is definitely one of the deeper positions in the league, but the Jets have made it look way easier than it actually is to find talent at this position. It's the one thing that they've done well from a team-building standpoint this decade. And, you know, two of these guys are McCaggan pickups. It's really the only thing he did well at all, but uh, it's, it's not that easy. If it were that easy, there would be a lot more teams having duos as good as Quinn Williams and Franklin Myers, Kazi, or a core like that. And not a lot of teams do. I, I mean, I've been putting numbers out there about how these guys rank against the rest of the players in the league at their positions. It's not that easy to find talent at this position, uh, but the jets have been really good at it. And they do have a very exciting trio of young players in Fadakasi, Franklin Myers, uh, and Quinn Williams going forward. And, and Fadakasi is, uh, he's already 25. So he will be 26 next season. So not quite as young, but Quinn Williams is going to be 23 pretty soon. Franklin Myers is still 24. So it's a, a really, this is definitely a, Trio that you can feel excited about Building your defense
3: The Jets have had plenty of luck On the interior defensive line But they've not had quite so much luck At cornerback the last couple of years And I would argue in coverage Period the last couple of years Bryce Hall showed some Encouraging signs in only his second game After coming back From injured reserve Had that terrible injury at the end of last season At the University of Virginia That caused him to slide to the fifth round So it's great that he was able to get into the game at all this season. He had his moments. He played fairly well at times, a little up and down, but that's to be expected. But everybody else in the coverage unit was beyond bad.
2: Yeah, I don't think Bryce Hall is great, but he definitely had some flashes, and that's all you want to see out of a fifth-round rookie making his first couple of career starts after not getting practice time for a long time, coming back from a severe injury. And that's what he did. He did give up three first downs, and he had another first down uh, by a penalty, but over 11 targets, including that penalty. Four first downs isn't too bad, and only uh, 55 total yards over 11 targets. So five for target, that's really good. And he did have two tackles in the screen game that were very impressive, which he broke uh, on the line of scrimmage, made a tackle in space. So Bryce Hall, it's a solid game. And really the biggest takeaway is that he was by far the least – bad cornerback, or really any player in coverage in this game, Uh, the rest of the team was very bad in coverage. And even though the run defense was pretty good in this game, even the pass rush was pretty good. I talked about Quinn and Williams, Frank Myers, and Jenkins. It was just the coverage was awful uh, with the rest of the team. Hewitt, Lange, Davis, Millette. When Justin Herbert targeted one of those players 29 of 32 for 319 yards, that's 10 yards for attempt, and 15 conversions. That's almost half of his passes. So it, those five guys really struggled. And the most important player in that group is Ashton Davis, and it, he definitely took a step back in this game after uh, a much-improved game against the Patriots. But uh, still, for any rookie, it's extremely early. You don't want to overreact, do anything good or bad. It's only three starts for Davis. So, But he did play bad this one. So you, uh, not necessarily bad, but took a step back from the Patriots game.
3: I would argue, Michael, that it is okay to overreact a little bit to the performance of Makai Becton over his performance against the Los Angeles Chargers. He was going up against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. In fact, you saw that photo at the end of the game where Ingram was giving Becton some advice. Seems like he took a liking to the kid, but... Makai Becton was vicious in this game Particularly in pass protection You just can't help but love What you've seen from the kid so far this season And I know that Daniel Jeremiah said a week ago That if Makai Becton keeps this up and stays healthy He could be the best tackle in the league In a year or two You watch this performance You watch the rest of the season And while he hasn't been perfect It's difficult to think that Daniel Jeremiah Doesn't have a very good chance of being right
2: yeah, you mentioned the picture of Becton talking uh, to Melvin Ingram after that game. Uh, based on what happened in the game, it probably should have been the other way around with Becton giving tips to Ingram. <laughs> because in this game, Becton did not give up any pressures. And he's the only left tackle of all the teams the Chargers have played this season. The only left tackle to give up no pressures in a game against the Chargers and their great duo of Bo- Joey Boza and Melvin Ingram. So, again, maybe Melvin Ingram is the guy who's getting tips in that picture. I don't know, based on the way things happened probably how it should have went, but Becton in this game was fantastic, and there were issues around him uh, when George Fant went down, and Edoga McDermott had to replace him. They were atrocious, Uh, and then on the interior, Van Roten kind of had a down game after uh, a very good stretch of five games, Um, but Makai Becton in this one just really stood out um, throughout the game in both phases. Um, Obviously, there was that one play where he got knocked onto the ground, but That was maybe his only bad play in the whole game, or noticeably bad play, uh, because pass protection gave up absolutely nothing, and in the run game, there were plenty of great reps on the edge against both of those two guys, Boza and Ingram, so this was a really good performance from Becton. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: No purchase necessary, boy we prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Outside of Beckton, the offensive line was actually pretty decent against the Chargers. The interior was much better than normal. They held their own. They weren't amazing, but they did okay. The depth, though, Michael, is going to be a big problem going forward because Connor McDermott and Shuma Odoga are both not good. And I'm being very nice when I say not good. Connor McDermott just got extended for a year, still can't figure out what that was about. So the offensive line was fine when the starters were in, but once they started to lose guys, that became an issue as Chuma Adoga and Connor McDermott fell on their faces again.
2: Yeah, I I really don't get the McDermott extension, especially after this game. Uh, In relief, three pressures over nine snaps in protection, which is absolutely horrible. Idoga with three over 22 snaps, which is also very bad. And Idoga also had two penalties, so really got beat uh, in protection five times. Or at least, I mean, he got beat more than that, but actually gave up damage on five of his 22 protection snaps. So those two guys with eight, uh, six pressures allowed plus two penalties, over 31 snaps in protection. You compare that to the starting offensive line, which combined for only four pressures allowed over the entire game and uh, only one penalty – or two penalties – so um, the depth has been a big issue. Josh Andrews, Edoga, McDermott have been the main replacements this season, and all three of them have been extremely bad. And, and look, when, when, I think sometimes we expect too much out of backups. They're backups for a reason. They're all going – no matter what the position is, they're going to be – you expect them to be worse than the guy they're replacing. That's why they're not starting. But the best teams in the league have the smallest drop-offs, when their best players go out, and of course, if you're talking about a superstar player, then it's different. There's going to be a huge drop off. But the best teams in the league have the best backups. I think they're able to deal with injuries better than everyone else. There's still going to be a drop off, usually a major one. But to this point, to what the Jets are getting with these uh, on the offensive line is—it's you're not going to be able to win games when you have backups that are playing at that level. So. The Jets do need to improve their depth. You definitely don't want to expect too much, but at the same time, this is like an unplayable level, the way Edoga, McDermott, and Andrews have played this season, but it also does kind of point to uh, George Fant and Makai Becton, how solid those two guys have been, particularly Becton, but also George Fant, just how you know competent, okay, decent, average starter he has been because when he goes out, that, that's when you start to notice the pressure off the edge. When he's in there, even though George Fant isn't amazing, you don't, it doesn't seem like a problem when he's in the game. But once he goes out, then you notice it. That's what happened against the Chargers. So uh, improving this offensive line depth is something the Jets have to do. I think Douglas improved this starting lineup pretty significantly over last season. Still a long way to go, but definitely the depth. There's, there's more they can do there.
3: And as far as improving the offense in general, as you said, they're going to need to do that on the offensive line, but also at wide receiver. However... They did get a big shot in the arm in that department when Denzel Mims came back a couple of weeks ago. He continues to make a really good impression here. Wasn't targeted at all in the first half for some crazy reason. But in the second half, not only was he making plays, but he was also drawing all kinds of penalties. Another very impressive performance here for the rookie out of Baylor.
2: Yeah, Mims has been extremely impressive. I think the biggest thing with what he's done so far is that he's found a way to be relatively consistent in an offense that has, uh, not, has done none of that this season. You look at what some of the other receivers on this team have done, whether it's uh, you know receivers who have started for a while, other than Crowder in the slot. But Harriman, Malone, Cager, Hogan, these guys have done pretty much nothing in this offense. And then you put Mims in there, and he's you know bringing this team to a new level, the explosiveness – that he's offered and then he's put up at least 40 yards in all four of his games first jet and franchise history to do that in each of his first four career games and you stack him up against the rest of the rookie class right now he was the 13th receiver off the board and he's seventh in receiving yards per game right now, even though he's playing with Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold and Adam Gase and Dowell Loggins. So um, it's it's been a really what he's done is really impressive considering the circumstances in, in this game against the Chargers. Career high, 71 yards, second straight game with a new uh, career high. Um, He he only had three catches on those 71 yards, but they were all big plays, 19, 25, 27 yards. And he also drew two penalties for 24 yards, and both of those led to conversions on third down. So he has been uh, really uh, exceeding expectations for, I think, for a rookie, no matter what the situation, uh, if you're a second-round rookie coming in, Midseason, having been injured throughout the year, you didn't get to play in the preseason. The expectations should be low, even if you were in Kansas City or if you were in uh, with the Rams. But playing with the Jets of all teams, and with all those circumstances, he's still come in and been uh, a very positive impact player for this team. And the targets haven't been there enough uh, because you look at the production he's had. It's not schemed up production. He's getting these catches when Joe Flacco or Darnold, the, one, or the two games I did play, when they decide to take a shot into one-on-one coverage, and he rewards them by making a, a contested catch. Um, and there have not been enough of those shots. The first three games, he did pretty much nothing in the second half. And then this game against the Chargers, it was the first half in which he wasn't involved. And then the second half, he had five first downs. So the fact that uh, Flacco and Darnold have not been more aggressive uh, looking for him throughout the entirety of the game is definitely something they both need to improve just to start feeding him because he's making the most out of these opportunities when the ball's coming his way. So it's definitely worth, uh, when you see a one-on-one matchup, there's no safety over the top, throw it up, and he's going to come down with it at a really good rate. That's what he's done so far. So Denzel Mims, really impressive start. No drops, no fumbles, no penalties. Uh, He's averaging 1.97 yards per route run. That's best among all Jets wide receivers, including Crowder and is also twenty-four at the 80th percentile, 20, 24th best of all wide receivers in the league, third best among rookies. He's been across the board just really impressive so far. And there's still so much – he can still go so much higher. I mean, because it's not as if he's put up amazing numbers so far, 54 yards a game. But the fact that when you take everything into account, what he's done so far is really impressive. And, and there's one more number that's really impressive about what he's done so far. Um, So in the four games he's played, Mims has accounted for 217 of the Jets' 672 passing yards. That's 32.3%. That's second best among rookies this season. Only Justin Jefferson, uh, who has really been amazing for the Vikings, only he has accounted for a higher percentage of his team's passing yards at 35.9%. So that really sums up uh, how Mims has been producing in spite of the circumstances.
3: The last two games have been the first two of the season that Mims has been on the field with both Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perriman at the same time. And some people would say that that is why the Jets offense has looked much more alive. And certainly that's probably the main factor. But Joe Flacco has looked much better than Sam Darnold the last couple of weeks. Obviously, you can look at Flacco having those three wide receivers, whereas Darnold never had all three of them at the same time. However, Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco have both played their fair share of games this season. And Flacco has outperformed Darnold by a decent margin in every meaningful category so far this season. It's not necessarily a good thing when you're looking at Sam Darnold as the 23-year-old who you're hoping would be a big part of the future. And Flacco is the 35-year-old veteran coming off neck surgery who's probably not going to be around for much longer.
2: Yeah, and I, it, it's definitely worth considering that Flacco has had all three receivers healthy the past two games. That's definitely a factor in the improved production, and Darnold hasn't gotten to have that luxury yet, and he deserves a chance to show what he can do uh, with all three of Crowder, Mibs, and Perriman healthy. But at the same time, I'm not sure it's necessarily having all three guys healthy is explains You know how, that Flacco's just been plainly a better quarterback this season. That's not to say he's been good. He's still been bad, but that's just how bad Sam Darnold has been, that he's still been worse than Flacco, even though Flacco's been Flacco. Um, So, again, it's worth giving Darnold the chance to see what he can do, but um, you look at the Jets' offense with Flacco versus with Darnold this season, their offensive EPA, which is estimated points added, which basically estimates the value of each play based on down, distance, field position, score. Uh, And how it affects the scoring of the game. So an advanced stat that really values every play more properly. So the Jets offensive EPA per game with Flacco positive 0.9, that would rank 27th in the league as of right now, if maintained over the full season. And with Darnold, it's a negative 8.4, which would be twice as worse as the worst non-Jets team, which is the bears right now, more than twice as bad as them, the 31st ranked team in the league besides the Jets. So, um, The Jets' offense has definitely been – and it's mostly been the last two games because, of course, they only scored 10 points over Flacco's first two starts. But uh, the last two games have been far and away better than anything the Jets did with Darnold under center. So we'll see what happens once Darnold gets his receivers back healthy, if he can match or beat what Flacco has done the past two games. But, I mean, he did get to play with two of those receivers healthy at a time um, between the combination of Crowder, and Perriman. He, in most of those games, had – uh, two of those guys healthy, so it's not as if he had nobody. And and again, we always have to go back to the film. The production is what it is, but when you look at Darnold on film, you know, sure he was throwing to guys like Cager, Barrios, but Cager and Barrios were open in some of those games, and Darnold wasn't getting the ball to them when they were. So uh, we'll see what happens once Darnold does get the chance. Uh, hopefully, he does get the chance to play with all three guys, and we can compare him to what he did. Again, uh, what Joe Flacco did with all three receivers healthy. But as of right now, it's just not promising to see uh, Darnold being uh, pretty, pretty obviously outperformed by, like you said, a 35-year-old backup coming off of neck surgery who has not been a good starter since 2014, really. Um, to be outperformed by him is definitely not what you want to see. And, you know, even if he does come back and play a little bit better than Joe Flacco, Playing a little bit better than Flacco is not what the Jets needed to see this year uh, to be certain that Darnold would be their franchise quarterback. The The bar should be a lot higher than Joe Flacco. So, again, we'll see what happens. But as of right now, not promising for the Jets to be scoring more points, putting up more yards, turning the ball over less, picking up more first downs, and overall being more efficient uh, in, terms of, uh, um, in terms of advanced metrics offensively uh, with Flacco under center than Darnold.
3: Makes me remember those rides at the amusement park where it would say, you must be this tall to ride this ride. The Jets should have a sign at Florham Park that says, you must be better than this man with a picture of Joe Flacco to quarterback this team. (laughs) Michael Nania doing the stats over at JetsXFactor.com where he is co-founder with Robbie Sabo. As always, thanks so much for coming on for The Chronicles. Really appreciate it. I know you've got a ton of stuff that you're working on over at JetsXFactor.com, including your Flacco grades. What's happening over there over the next couple of days as we get ready for the Jets rematch with the Dolphins on Sunday?
2: Yeah, we've had a lot of film this week. I did Quint Williams, um, planning on doing Becton and Denzel Mims. Also, the Joe Flacco grade, as you mentioned. Uh, I would like Darnold to come back. It's definitely more intriguing to do Darnold, uh, even if he's struggling but doing more FACO grades to see how he is truly playing on a play-to-play basis. Also, the studs and duds taking the Jets' scoring margin and assigning uh, scores to every single player on the roster and how they contributed to the final score of the game. So um, plenty plenty of great stuff, as we do every single week. But uh, I am kind of starting to look forward a little bit to the offseason, finally get a chance to look at the draft and free agency, Uh, Because, uh, you know, there's only so many times you can praise Quinn and Williams and nobody else on the team and Makai Becton and Braden Mann. But I'm looking forward to the offseason.
3: If you can't love Brayden Man, who can you love in this life? Let's be honest. Make sure that you're following <laughs> Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore nania and checking out his work at JetsXFactor.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go.